Today, I want to talk about cultures and how we relate to each other in different cultures. And, and how many of you guys know that one thing can mean two different things to two different people? Uh, it was two years ago. We were living in Tijuana. We had a great idea. We're taking mission trips out of all people's Tijuana. We had a team of 40-plus people going to Oaxaca in southern Mexico. And uh, I had this great idea that for a few days we would leave the city and we would go to an unreached Zapoteco, which is like an indigenous village. But we weren't just going to stop there. We were going to, I had this idea of, of what if I talked to the local pastor of this small community of believers, and what if I asked him if his community could actually host our group for a few nights in their homes? And I'm thinking, this is going to be an amazing cross-cultural, unforgettable immersion experience, and having different host homes for our mission trip team in this little village, and well, let me say this also. This is something you have to know about me. I grew up in a small town in Texas. And when I was in junior high, I was a part of a church choir. And, and what we would do is we would go on these tours around the state of Texas, and, and, and we would sing in the churches. And, and after the performances, they would assign us to different host homes. And typically what would happen is some sweet mom would come pick us up in her SUV or her minivan, and, and we would go back to her house, and she would typically have some kind of uh, casserole prepared or a yummy dessert, and, and then she'd have a little bedroom set aside with, with soft carpet and, and warm blankets, and, and we would stay the night there and, and have a hot breakfast, and then we would go to our next stop. So let me take you back to Oaxaca. Uh, our, our team arrives to the city, and we're there for several days, and then comes our three-day trip to this village where we're going to have our host homes. And we arrive to the village. We have a, a homemade dinner under a tree, beautiful. It's starting to get dark, so I'm kind of starting to get a little nervous about my host homes plan. And so I go up to the pastor, and I say, Pastor, are, are, uh, are we still good for, for the host homes? Confidently, he calmly, he says, uh, uh, yes, you, you see Francisco over there. And she, this woman is just working hard, cleaning the dishes. She says, she's, she's going to take a family. And he says, and then you see Pedro. And there's this sleepy man uh, leaning against the wall with a straw in his mouth. He says, he's going to take two families. And then he says, and then you see Pancho, and there's this, this older man standing next to his donkey. He said, he's going to take two families. And as I'm looking at this situation, I'm realizing that this is not how I had pictured it. This was not nearly as warm and fuzzy. There were no sweet moms with minivans. There was going to be no yummy desserts or warm carpet. And my team is looking at me wide-eyed like they're sheep being sent off to the slaughter. But, but here's the other thing, and this part's actually really bad. I didn't exactly talk to my wife about this plan. Suzanne is, is kind of seeing the group get sent off, and she turns around and looks at me. Some of you husbands know that look. 
It's a special look. And she says, we're staying in hotels, aren't we? <sighs> Needless to say, those nights in the village will not be spoken of again in my marriage. <laughs> As we slept on cement floors, walked 50 yards to go to the bathroom at night. Beautiful village, wonderful experience. But let me just say that what I was thinking in my head and what happened weren't exactly the same. Today, we're going to talk about something I'm very passionate about. It's the topic of how we can engage with different cultures. And the title of my message is Culture Through the Eyes of Jesus. You see, we all have a way that we see life. And it, maybe think of it as, as the lens of your glasses. And it's shaped by where you were born, how you were raised, what you experienced, your traditions, your ethnicity, your language, and so much more. Men and women have different cultures. Every family has a culture. Every church has a culture. And I, I want to start by making a few points that were perhaps give us a framework for, for where we want to go today. First, different cultures naturally create conflict. Different cultures naturally create conflict. Uh, we have a, an example of this in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing... The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So basically what's happening is that the Greek believers and the Hebrew believers had conflict, and it says it was regarding the distribution of the food. But it seems like the writer's making it clear by the way he's telling the story that the primary reason for the conflict was because they were from different cultures. It's because the Hebraic Jews read from the Hebrew Bible and, and they had their people and their songs and their traditions and the Hellenistic Jews read from the Greek Bible and they had their people and their songs and their food and they did, just did not see life in the same way. Uh, Suzanne and I recently spent the night at a, a local resort for a staycation and uh, we were at this beautiful place in San Diego and because the kids weren't with us, we had the privilege of getting to go to the adult pool. And, uh, and we're there, and we, and we hear this one couple in the corner sitting in some chairs start talking to another couple that's at the edge of the pool. And they evidently didn't know each other, and we came to learn that they were from totally different places and different cultures. And they started talking about world events, started sharing their perspectives. But then I noticed that their voices started getting louder as they started talking about some hot-button cultural issues. And then it came, politics. And the court blew off, screaming, cussing, accusation. Suzanne and I picked up our towels, and we actually decided that the kids' pool would be more peaceful than this place. But, you know, I can't help but think that this is often the place we find ourselves as a church. We have the oasis of God's presence and his spirit. 
But we often find ourselves in conflict with each other because we see life differently. Actually, I remember as we were planting the church in San Diego in 2008, and Robert and, and Kendall and I and Joel, we would go to these church planting meetings. And, and I remember hearing about this church planting concept or, or axiom that when people are looking for a church, they're typically looking for PLUs, people like us. You see, because of the friction that, it, that can be caused by different cultures, yours and my natural tendency, because we always tend towards the path of least resistance, our tendency is to gravitate to people that are just like us. And, you know, this message is so important because we don't just want to be a church for people like me and you. Because, point two, the church is called to be a home for all cultures. Revelation 7, John has this vision of heaven. And he says in verse 9, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Just imagine this. They're all together. And it says, they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I just, I just want you to visualize this for a second. Every culture represented, every nation, every color, all the languages. And they're all standing together before Jesus. Actually, this verse is one of the reasons we're called all peoples. This is why we want to plant multicultural, multi-generational churches. This is why we want to contend for unity. Because this is what it's going to be like in heaven. And guys, we, we don't realize what an opportunity we have for this in our own county. Uh, about two months ago, we had a mission trip team from out of state that, that prayed and shared with people in Chula Vista, South Bay region. And, and um, last minute, they decided they want to have a worship night in the backyard of the rented house they were staying at. And uh, it was amazing that people actually came, but... but What's crazy is there were about 10 people that came, and I just want you to hear who came. A sweet Filipino couple, the husband was contending for a breakthrough for his wife as she's having debilitating anxiety. Three Latina women that were coming out of addiction, that were in recovery. A young Caucasian law student that said that for three weeks during COVID, she didn't leave her apartment. And she literally thought she was going crazy. An African-American American couple who are ministers who are looking for a place to call home. And what's crazy is that we had a one-hour worship time that honestly wasn't all that powerful. But by the end, one girl got saved. And of the ten people that were there, four of them got baptized in the pool in the backyard. And that's something you can clap about. And, and, you know, as I looked at that crazy, diverse crew that night, of people of all walks of life, all I could think was, these are our people. 
These people are the reason we're planting a new church in the South Bay. I just want to say, guys, look around the county. Look at our city. Look at this neighborhood. So rich with cultures and colors and foods and peoples. These are our people. Point three, and I want to spend the rest of our time here. Jesus showed us the way to relate to all cultures through his life. Jesus shows us the way. And I want to look at Philippians 2. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. Philippians 2, verse 1. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, I want you to see here that, that Paul is talking, and, and he's kind of talking us through what it means to be a Christian, right? He said, if, he's saying, you are united with Christ. If, if you're following Jesus today, you are united with Christ. You are loved. You have the Holy Spirit. And Paul is speaking to them like a father. He's almost pleading with them, and he's saying, guys, if you're encouraged at all, that you're saved. If you're encouraged at all that you're set free and healed and whole. How many people are thankful for that, by the way, this morning? If you're encouraged at all, if you call yourself a Christian, then what does he say? Be like-minded with the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. It's like he's just saying, do it. You know what that shows me? is that unity, walking together, is a choice. It doesn't just happen. You know, if we're going to be a people of unity that walk together from different cultures and, and backgrounds and languages, one of the things that means is that we got to learn to let a lot of things go. You know, we often get unity confused with agreement. We think, well, if I'm going to walk together with you, we got to see eye to eye on this and this and this and this. But that's just not how we're called to live. I think of my marriage. My wife and I walk in tremendous unity, but we don't always agree. In Acts chapter 2, talking about the early church, it says that they had everything in common. But I don't think that means that they all wore skinny jeans and white tennis shoes and designer T-shirts. It doesn't mean that they all talked the same. It doesn't mean that they all thought the same. Actually, I don't know about you, when I'm getting those spaces when everybody talks and dresses and everything the same, it kind of weirds me out. But when it says they had everything in common in Acts 2, when it says be like-minded in Philippians 2, I think what it means is, it says that they majored on the majors. It means that they learned to pick their battles. Now, do we fight for righteousness and healthy Christian doctrine? Absolutely. But we got to give tons of grace to people as they're on their journey towards Jesus. So Paul, in this passage, he's told us what the goal is. 
It's, it's being very different people from very different places, but being one. He gives us the picture of what it looks like to be a Christian. But now, he, as we continue, he's going to tell us about the culture that you and I have to own as followers of Jesus if we're going to see it as a reality. So let's look at verse 3. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Such a powerful passage of Scripture. So Paul's continuing, right? And he says, in my words, Hey, guys, if you're going to do this, if you're going to be like-minded with one love, if you're going to do this, it can't be about you. It's got to be about them. And then he paints this picture, this staggering picture of Jesus. You know, if we're going to value others above ourselves, if we're going to look at others' interests, if we're going to engage with cultures different than ours, it starts with you and me seeking to understand. I heard a great definition of empathy recently. Empathy is someone who listens with a soft heart and doesn't judge. Empathy is someone who listens with a soft heart and doesn't judge. Empathy is being willing to understand and enter into the feelings of someone else. Let me just ask you, when was the last time that you sat down with someone different than you? outside of your circle and you listened with a soft heart and he didn't judge. You see, I don't know about you, but I can get in the trap of thinking that I'm right and they're wrong. We look at others and their journey, where they come from, their understanding of God, the way they talk, the way they think, and without saying anything, we can immediately think that they're either right or they're wrong. I mean, if I'm honest, it's, it's scary how quickly I can do this. Uh, I was at my kid's school orientation, and uh, I was in one of my kid's classes. And some of you parents are probably much holier than I am. But I, I'm, I'm in my son's classroom, and, and within 60 seconds, right, I picked out my son's best friends. I picked out the kids who he should stay away from. I picked out a couple kids that needed a miracle just to make it to the end of the year. I mean, it's crazy how quickly we can do that, right? 
And here's the point. You might even be right, but your heart can be totally wrong. And here's the thing. If we really want to go down that road of I'm right and they're wrong, actually, if anyone was right, it was Jesus. And if anyone was wrong, it was you and me. Humanity is the story of the gospel, right? And in the ultimate act of empathy, we see in Philippians 2 that Jesus came to earth. And when he came to earth, good came face to face with evil. The person of truth came and confronted lies. Heaven and perfection came to earth in chaos. Jesus seemed to come and get comfortable in our space, in that place of, of nuance. He was in the bars and outside the brothels, and he's with the smelly fishermen who I'm sure were letting loose cuss words. He hung out with the thug tax collectors and the controversial types. And I, I just want to say, church, we want to fight to keep our hearts clean. We want to be clear on sin and purity and devotion. But we can't ever be afraid of getting our hands dirty. We can't be afraid of getting in someone else's world. Uh, if there's anything that church planning has taught me, it's that when you get outside of your circle, when you get outside of your PLU space, you realize that the world's a pretty messy place. And not everything fits nice and tidy and perfect in the box like you want it to. I think of the last several years in Mexico. As we've walked closely with people that have come out of prostitution. As we've had people that come from major abuse. As we've had people that have been perpetrators of abuse. As we've had drug dealers and drug addicts. I remember I come from a small town in Texas. I didn't even know how to find drugs growing up. I didn't even know what they looked like. I think one of the guys that graduated from a school of transformation, and he was within 30 minutes from killing someone before he encountered Jesus. The night he encountered Jesus, he says that he was at home. He was shining his gun. He was polishing his bullets as he put them in. He was going to avenge the death of his uncle. And as he was on his way, a, a guy from our church felt like the Lord put it on his heart. And he went by his house and he invited him to go to dinner with him. And, and my, my friend who was going to do this, he said he didn't really want to go, but he thought he'd go to dinner with him real quick, kind of get rid of him, and then he'd go on and do what he wanted to do. But after they have dinner, the guy from our church asked to pray for him. And... The way he tells the story, he's standing in a parking lot. He has this encounter with Jesus. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he falls face first into the pavement. And a week later, no joke, he was hosting mission trip teams at our church. Passing out bulletins at the door. And it's actually one of the most fruitful evangelists I've ever seen. Guys, we got to have the, the sophistication, the maturity 
cannot have everything always fit perfectly in our box. Because the reality is that if you and I aren't able to engage with someone else's story, if we're not able to meet somebody from where, where they're at, where they're coming from, how are they ever going to encounter Jesus? But through your empathy and compassion, through you incarnating the person of Jesus in their time of need. And maybe you think, well, well what if I sit down with somebody and, and maybe I don't agree with them? Or what if they're in a sinful lifestyle? Maybe they'll think I'm condoning their actions or that I agree with them. I actually like someone that, something that I heard one pastor say recently. He said, kindness does not make you complicit. Kindness doesn't make you complicit. Let's be honest. Being judgy and mean-spirited isn't working. But are you willing to sit in that space of listening? With a soft heart, of being kind. And the passage finishes, verse 9. Getting a sweat going up here. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Jesus was our supreme example. He was completely God, and he was completely man. Now, we know Jesus was God, but I don't think we always engage with what it means that he was a man. It means he ate. It means he slept. It means he had dreams and nightmares, and temptations, actually every temptation. Jesus laughed. He was betrayed. Jesus knows what it's like to be human. He didn't play the God card with the Pharisees. He didn't use his power to show people up. He didn't try to get out of his own death. And what this passage says is that in his perfection, through his death, he gained the authority to be Lord, Savior, and King forever. And I don't want you to miss this. Jesus modeled a life of humility in his humanity to show you that you can do it too. Jesus modeled a life of humility to show you that you can do it too. Because at the end of the day, United Church, moving forward together in all of its diversity, is a humble church. So how do we see culture the Jesus way? How do we do it? I'm going to end with just three, three simple points. Number one, we embrace empathy. We embrace empathy. Again, Jesus was a supreme example of this as he came to earth as a man. But here's why I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to be intentional. This doesn't just happen. Be intentional to step out of your own space, to step out of your own reality, and seek to understand someone else's world. Maybe it's someone in the church. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a, a cashier at a store that you go to. 
And let's be honest, the, the world in some ways has hijacked this idea of empathy to say it's all about you and your truth. But let's be clear. We have the truth in the person of Jesus. We have the truth in the word of God. And only this truth will set you free. But let me give you a key. It means less talking and more listening. It means asking questions. We should all become professional question askers. I'm always amazed as I ask people questions, as I realize that this person has a story and challenges and joys just like me. As I said, it requires intentionality. Point two, sit in the back pocket. Look at the person to your right or left. Say, sit in the back pocket. We can tend to be front pocket people. But I'm telling you, we got to get in the back pocket. Now, I'm sure I didn't coin this term, but my wife and I tell my kids this all the time. Because uh, they want to know where what we're going to do and when and with who and where. We'll be eating lunch at a restaurant, and they'll be asking, what are we going to have for dinner? We'll be at like a super fun place. We'll be at Disneyland, and they'll say, what are we doing tomorrow? And we're just kind of like, you guys need to sit in the back pocket, which means you got to relax. You got to breathe. Everybody just breathe right now. Just breathe. Why? Because relationships take time. I've learned this so much in my time in Mexico. Uh, take texting, for example. In the U.S., you're, you're super direct to the point when you're sending somebody a text, right? There's no fluff, uh, but not in Mexico. In Mexico, when you're texting someone, what do you text? You, you start with saying, Dios te bendiga. God bless you. Send. ¿Cómo estás? How are you? Send. ¿Cómo está la familia? Send. We haven't even talked about what we're going to talk about. We're just kind of warming up right now. And then eventually you say, of course, the thing that you want to say. And, and you know, at, at first it's a learning curve, but after a while you start to like it. Why? Because you feel that that person is interested in you. You feel that more than anything you can do for me, I care about you. And now I'm kind of spoiled, right? Because my American friends text me, and they just say, where are you at? And I'm like, man, like, didn't even greet me. You didn't even, like, talk about the weather. You didn't ask about my family. Like, what's up? Dallas Willard, the well-known theologian and teacher, said once that if he could describe Jesus in one word, it would be relaxed. I think that's a great word for us. If we're going to meet people where they're at, where they're coming from, I'm telling you guys, we've got to learn to breathe. We've got to learn to not take ourselves too seriously we got to relax. Because the truth is that getting to so, know someone outside of your own culture takes time. And lastly, have the courage to encourage. I want to encourage you today to have the courage to encourage. I think encouragement is probably one of the most 
important functions of the church and sometimes the most undervalued. Because one thing I know about you is that you want to be encouraged. Because when you encourage someone, you literally put courage inside of them. But here's the other thing I know. You have to have courage to encourage someone else. Because you can think, well, if I encourage them, they're going to think that I think that I'm better than them. Or you think, if I encourage them, they're going to think that I'm affirming things in them that maybe aren't right. And I just want to say, this is why we have to do the work of, of our identity in Christ and, and getting secure in God so that we can have something to give. So that we're able to give courage to others through encouragement. Let me just in, encourage you to take the initiative. Sometimes it's as simple as extending your hand and getting to know somebody you don't know. Sometimes it's just learning their name and and tell them, hey, you have a great smile. We think it has to be this spiritually profound revelation. It's just, hey, you have a great smile. I see God using your life. Hey, there's a place for you in this place. Let's be the church that gives courage to each other. Why don't we stand?